Good afternoon, K-Squid listeners. It's every other Sunday again, and you're, and this is Sustainability Now, a bi-weekly K-Squid radio show focused on environment, sustainability, and social justice in the Monterey Bay region, California, and the world. And I'm your host, Ronnie Lipschitz. Many of our listeners probably know that the UC Regents recently approved the university's Student Housing West proposal which includes large buildings with some 3,000 beds on the west side of campus, large Stalinist-type buildings in my view, and the relocation of family student housing to the iconic East Meadow on the east side. Whether and when construction will begin is anyone's guess, but a lot of people are opposed to the move. A lot of people are in support of of, of the building as well. My guests today are Nadia Peralta and Bob Maisler of Protect East Meadow, not to be confused with the East Meadow Action Committee. Uh, Sorry, Protect East Meadow has been active at UCSC in opposing the Family Student Housing Project on both financial and ecological grounds. Nadia is a full-time pre-med student and practicing clinical herbalist. Bob is a UCSC lecturer in psychology with interests in social and environmental justice. Both are strongly committed to preserving open space on the UCSC campus. Bob and Nadia, welcome to Sustainability Now. Thank you. It's so nice to be here. And, and Bob, you can unmute yourself. Can you hear us? Can you hear me? Now we can hear you. We great, hear great you. to be here, Ronnie. Thank you. Okay. Um, why don't you start by telling us about your group and then about yourselves, who you are? Sure, thank you. Uh, so our group goes by the name Protect East Meadow. And uh, we, I like to describe us as a working group of people who came together around the what we call UCSC's East Meadow. Uh, we started meeting regularly last summer in July and we met after um, myself, Nadia, uh, got one of the um, EMAC, East Meadow Action Committee, uh, newsletters that was talking about how the struggle for the East Meadow was ongoing. And um, there was a little bit of hope in the newsletter at the time that made me think that um, if those of us who were interested in seeing an alternative to developing on the meadow got together regularly, that we could um, raise some more public awareness about the nuances involved in the project and alternatives to it. And fortunately, there were other friends and colleagues, longtime comrades who came together to do that as well. Do you want to add anything, Bob? That's great, Nadia. Yeah, just that, um, yeah, as we like to say, we have a really, I think, good and respectful relationship and grateful relationship to EMAC, um, but we are also a little bit different in our approach, and we'll probably talk about that a little bit as the show goes on. Um, So, yeah. Yeah, it would would probably be useful to know about the difference. well, let's, let's start. You know, some of our listeners may not know exactly what Student Housing West entails. And, I mean, it's been going on since 
2017 or so. I think that's when it was first proposed. Um, and so now it's six years later and no ground has been broken. So what, do the, what does Student Housing West involve and include? Yeah, that's a great question and always a good place to start. So Student Housing West, as the name would suggest, is a uh, redevelopment uh, that was supposed to take place on the west side of campus. And that's really important because we are talking about this struggle for the East Meadow. So these two opposite directions and locations on campus. And so Student Housing West um, has a lot of uh, really valid needs and, and reasons for being a thing. Um, it involves family student housing, which is on the west side of campus. And it. Uh, my understanding is that family student housing has a lot of issues. That's an old building. There's some pretty chronic black mold problems. And um, it really doesn't accommodate all of the family students with families that need housing. And so um, the original proposal uh, was to tear down that building and rebuild it higher and bigger uh, to accommodate more people. So that was um, passed by the regents and then um, vetoed by California Fish and Wildlife. And so why East Meadow, the site at Hagar and Coolidge? I was going to say some, you know, the, that the original plan, as I regard, remember, it was to rebuild student, family student housing and then to build a big development right next to Porter. Yes, right? it involved the and, Porter and Meadow. And that's why well, California Fish and Wildlife got involved because of the red-legged frog. The red-legged frog, right? exactly. So then the the big site had to be moved, and it was being moved to where family student housing is now. Yes, right. yes. Oh, okay, so I just wanted to clarify that. Yes, no, that's a great clarification. So then um, I still think that another little piece, as I understood the literature, was that that next plan that just included family student housing was still too big to accommodate the uh, red-legged frog. And so that there's like some spillover that happened onto the East Meadow. And that that happened because a developer at the time saw the meadow as just this open space that had never been properly taken advantage of and um, was like, why, why haven't you built here? Without really a lot of context about uh, the founding aesthetics and sort of principles of UCSC, which is really where I think EMAC does a great job of um, highlighting the issue with moving over to the East Meadow. Okay, and and then what does the uh, the plan, the, the plan in East Meadow look like? It's, it's on a Hager Drive. And um, Bob, is that something that you can address? What What is proposed for that particular site? Sure, yeah, I can. Um, offer some insight into that and um, so yeah the it is supposed to be 140 new two-bedroom apartments for students and families with childcare near there um, and um, so that is how many beds it would have and that's an important piece of it uh, this 140 beds would only represent 5% of the 3,000 beds that this um, family student, or sorry, uh, um, Housing West, Student Housing West plan is supposed to have. So, um, yeah, that's what that would look like. It would, um, you know, we're hoping, you know, that it doesn't start next year, but the university would like to start building on it. It had a recent 
um, like go ahead from the regents um, in a recent meeting. Um, it got the, the green light and that was something that sort of came about a little bit unexpectedly. There, it had been in litigation um, a few lawsuits from the city of Santa Cruz, uh, like uh, residents of the city of Santa Cruz. Um, so yeah, that's where it's at right now. Um, Nadia, do you want to add anything to that? Yeah, if I could just add that uh, for folks who are familiar with that meadow, it represents about 17 acres of the meadow itself, which is not the entire meadow, but it would be literally, the, I think they would open up that corner at Hagar and Coolidge to get into the new development site. Um, all of this has been uh, like simulated into 3D models on the Student Housing West website, if anyone's curious about that. I might add that the, the 3D models show streets devoid of traffic. Yes, um, they do. <laughs> they're, they're quite attractive. Um, but uh, those of us who live nearby know that, that, that traffic uh, can be an issue. Well, let's talk a little bit, you know, again, these, these are topics that have been hashed out repeatedly on the airwaves and in, in um, meetings and, and the like. Why... You know why this this big um, development? What's the reason or the rationale for three thousand beds on campus? It's it's probably worth talking a bit about about the housing situation. Yeah, absolutely. I, I appreciate how well you're grounding us in all of this because it's an important uh, situation to understand. So, um, as the listeners are probably familiar with, we are experiencing a housing crisis, I mean, across California and have been for a long time in our town, in our city. Um, and that has to do with way more economic and political factors than I can possibly name. However, one driving factor is uh, UCSC's um, admittance of students without having enough housing on campus. Um, so their numbers don't match the amount of students they're letting in every single year. And um, another issue, though, is that even when there is available housing on campus, and I went through this, I'm a UCSC alumna, housing on campus for a triplet where you're stuffed in with somebody else is so expensive. It's even more expensive compared to town, and town is on par with places like New York City. So um, it creates this interesting phenomenon where students go looking for places to live in town. And I think in some ways this serves a certain landlord class of Santa Cruz because students just smush themselves into other really unsafe, moldy garage, ADU, closet type of situations in town instead of on campus. Um, but that's just kind of been this like dysfunctional cycle that's replicated itself for many years now. Um, yeah, I've had shows before on, on housing issues. Uh, you know, many, many of uh, my fellow broadcasters have, have done the same thing. I mean, one could argue, of course, that uh, the failure to fully address the issue of student housing is, has driven out the kind of people that are necessary for the city to run, teachers and police and, you know, uh, first responders, right? Um, and uh, so there is that particular issue that it seems to me to be very important. But, uh, oh, absolutely. But, but the university made a commitment, as I recall, you know, to house a certain fraction of its students. I think it was 50 or 60 percent on campus, and it's, it's fairly far below that right now. Yes. What, what's the story there? Do you know? 
so I, I can speak to that. I'm curious, Bob, if you want to. Um, I, I can add a little bit there. Um, yeah, that there is, I think the number is 50%, that the university is committed to housing 50% because uh, UCSC knows about, I mean, there's, there's pressure on it to the university to be, house more students and um, especially offer more affordable housing for students. And that's certainly a very strong sort of demand on the university from you know current students, even faculty like myself and um, you know parents and alumni. Um, so yeah, that that is definitely very strong position. And then we're we're under that, and there's there's also reasons that we could go into why UCSC is under that. We um, maybe thinking about the East Campus infill project um, that was abandoned back in the early 20 teens. Um, I don't know if we want to go into that part of it at this point, um, but well, yeah. That's, that's actually kind of interesting. I didn't realize that it had been abandoned. I thought it was completed. Right, yeah, no. Um, and this is through the wonderful research and archiving work that EMAC has done. Um, so on their website, their timelines and, and archives are very useful. Um, and, and they show that there was this project called the East Campus Infill Project back um, um, and actually, you know, it was um, almost had the green light in the late aughts back in, uh, you know, um, 2008, 2009. Um, and the uh, you know, they were they were taking bids from contractors, and this would be. Um, I'm actually not fully sure about this. I think it's in the Crown Merrill area. This is where it was slated to be, um, and I know they did some other work on Merrill later on, but this is a, a separate project from that. Um, anyways, they were taking bids on it, and they were getting bids that were actually quite good. You know, for the university, um, so it was going to be a economical and it was supposed to have 600 beds project and it was shelved for the um, because of the recession and then for reasons I'm not clear on it was never picked up on again and back in 2017 when this current plan was getting steam um, EMAC and others um, including um, a letter from a former regent, as well as many UCSC professors and um, like Jim Clifford, uh, Faye Crosby, um, others, um, sent a letter to the university saying, explore the, the East Campus Infill project. This is a good project. Um, this was at the very end of um, the period where um, Blumenthal was chancellor. And um, so there was an opportunity at that, at sort of like when Blumenthal was ending and um, current Chancellor Larive was taking over to to re-explore this East East Campus infill, but that was that was not taken up, unfortunately. And can I add to that? I actually love that Bob is grounding us in sort of the the chancellorships because I actually think this that has a lot lot to do with sort of the trends of what's possible and what happens, and I think that. Um, I've, I have a various uh, community organizing background in Santa Cruz as well as one of the things I've done is 
organize um, alongside the Ombudsman Tribal Band for more recognition and during the bell removal process. And something that really struck me at the bell removal process, because UCSC was there, and they, they UCSC and Chancellor LaRive, I think any, any chancellor I've ever seen there in all my years of doing this, loves, loves when it looks good. And they just love looking good. And so things like the um, land acknowledgement, things like taking down the bell, symbolic things that make them look good are just what they're all about. And the thing about moving, like bulldozing basically a bad idea, which is what this is, is that it makes Cynthia LaRive look really good that she's doing something about the housing crisis when it's not a thorough process and there's a lot of Op, there's been opportunity. What I want to highlight is that Bob has often said that there was opportunity to consider other options that it just felt has felt like the UC has not taken. All right. You're listening to Sustainability Now on KSQD. I'm Ronnie Lipschutz. And my guests today are Nadja Peralta and Bob Maisler of Protect East Meadow uh, up on the UCSC campus. And we've, we've just, uh, Nadja was just making some comments about about uh, university looking good, about which I will say is that no university wants to look bad. And there are no universities that ever advertise such things, right? If they get caught in a scandal or somebody on the campus, you know, does something untoward, then they have to admit something's gone wrong. But I have never in 30 years of, of, you know, being at UCSC and watching watching the university, I've never seen any announcements that were in any way uh, not highly positive. Um, and, you know, you can understand that, what that is. Well, l- look, let me get back to some of these, some of these other issues, right? Um, why should people in uh, Santa Cruz County and in the city actually be concerned about East Meadow. As, as someone wrote this morning in the Sentinel, you know, there are 2,000 acres. What's 17 acres? So, you know, wh- why is this an iconic site? I mean, what's, what's going on? It's interesting. We use the word iconic because I think our culture lacks uh, comfortability with a relationship with land that's sacred. Because I think that's a charged word because of the trauma from the Christian church. But before that schism, uh, the idea that land is relational and that the land is sacred would have to do with the fact that it's a a powerfully charged place, like the way a church or a synagogue or um, things that we are more culturally comfortable with being powerfully charged places are. And so sure, if you want to put this into numbers, it's just 17 acres, but if you've actually stood in the middle of that place or gone there to see the sunrise and the moon set at the same time or noticed that you know Hagar and Coolidge are just arbitrary roads that have intersected this meadow just like the Westlake neighborhood is a neighborhood that has only been there for the last 75 years you start to see that that meadow is the top of a very intricate oak wooded grassland that went all the way from the meadow and the great meadow down into what we call the Westlake neighborhood now um, and started and you know was part of this beautiful terraced uh, steps at, at the foot at the kind of you could think of it like the big toe of the Ben Lomond mountain and um, 
during the Spanish colonization period, uh, that area was called Tres Ojos de Agua because uh, there are these incredibly mysterious and prolific springs that spring on Spring Street um, at the Lutheran Church in people's backyards. It's a place where the water table is really high. And I mean, anyone who likes to walk at the Pogonip knows that it's a very special place. And it doesn't take a stretch of the imagination even to see that. So you, the University of California came into owning this land. And at it, the inception of UCSC, there were certain values that were held about how they were going to build, um, which included uh, you know, low buildings, um, beautiful architecture, places that would inspire thought and would inspire creativity and were part of this idealistic understanding of what a university is. And so um, the U, the, what we call the East Meadow got spared in that building process because they wanted to build into the trees. Um, you know, the meadow gets a lot of sun and would, it's uh, had been used previously as um, grazing area anyway. And so not to, I, I hear a lot of retraction that uh, the meadow is not just a pristine nature and and like it's this really degraded piece of land and like why why are we talking about it as if it's this like special place that needs to be protected but you know that i just don't even see that as enough of a reason to not um be like it's kind of remarkable that this meadow has withstood grazing has withstood proximity to quarry mining has withstood um the uc buying this area um and this meadow undoubtedly meant something important to the Owaswasaloni people of this place it's a place where you can see the entire bay. You can see the Western Ocean and the Southern Ocean of the bay. You can see um, everything. And it's, uh, so it's not just 17 acres. It's, it's, um, it also is quite possibly a really important spot for the water that trickles out of there. The, the city of Santa Cruz does not, does not use the water that comes out of Dodero Creek and Laurel Creek, the creeks that that serves. Um, but we have no idea if we may need to use that water one day. The fact that that water runs even during the most intense moments of drought that we have had is very interesting to say the least so so on ecological grounds i suppose uh, ecological and spiritual grounds absolutely you would, you would argue yeah argue and about. and iconic um you asked iconic so it's iconic because it's what you see when you first drive into ucsc yeah no i was gonna i was gonna say yeah. right that's the first thing but but i do know that uh from from my experience you know that when you drive into, well, this used to be the case, you drove into campus and you couldn't find the university. People are always turning into family student housing, think, not faculty, faculty housing, housing yeah. thinking that they found the campus and they're always quite surprised. Um, but, uh, you know, I was thinking when I, when I use the term iconic, I wasn't thinking quite in those terms. I was thinking in terms of green belts, mm -hmm. right? And, and over the 30, 50 years, what am I talking about? The 55 years the campus has become this kind of uh, almost, you know, civic sacred space, right? Which, which is supposed to be remain as unobtrusive as possible. Um, which, you know, one can one can I think fall either way on that. But, um, but I know that that some people have been critical of the the movement of your movement and others. Um, and have said, you know, have accused people of, of actually racism for opposing housing um, and basically 
you know, forcing lower income students to move farther and farther out. And I mean, how do you respond to that? I, I'm playing devil's advocate. I hope that's okay. Oh, sure. How do you respond when so, if someone says that to you? How do you respond? Or maybe Bob has something to say about being in sure. Psychology. I can start on this one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, th- I think I would respond in two ways. Um, the first of which is. Um, at least from our group in the way that Nadia talked about it, um, our group is both very pro-housing justice and very pro-Indigenous um, so- uh, sovereignty and um, like a decolonization of the university and beyond. So, And I, I, those things tend to get put as like um, a contradiction with one another, but we see them as both um, in, you know, you, very important values that we hold and, and, and we don't think that it's a contradiction. And so, you know, thinking about the land as, um, you know, first of all, the UCSC being on unceded um, territory of the uh, Owaswa-speaking people, um, that also reframes this conversation in important ways um, that we're, we are, you know, attempting to do. And I think that perhaps that um, that hasn't been done enough in this movement. Um, so that's part of it. The second part of it is that um, the East Meadow housing, it's, it's not really going to have any effect on the Santa Cruz housing market. It's not going to um, produce more um, like low-income housing for students or for you know, groups who have historically been um, excluded um, from the university. And so if, if the university wanted to do that, it would have um, taken the, uh, the East Campus Infill project more seriously because 140 beds, that's, that's as Nadia is saying, that looks a lot better than um, any effect that it has on the housing market. None of these projects will have a, a particularly significant effect. I, I mean, the 3,000 be- odd beds are really catching up, right? And the university wants to enroll another 10,000 students according to the long-range development plan. So uh, even if it builds the 3,000, it, it will be behind. Um, I know that the, the Kresge Rehabilitation Project was presented as a completely new, sort of completely new housing um, that I actually I saw an ad in the Sentinel put there by the university which basically presented it as a new housing development and not as the rehabilitation of an existing one. Um, you can hear folks that, that I am I am sorry I'm a skeptic too. I should be I should be more balanced. During my last sabbatical I wrote an institutional biography of UCSC and so I read lots and lots of documents. And and you know making commitments and not for one reason or another being able to fulfill them is kind of the stock of stock and trade of universities. They they have grandiose visions, um, and then find that it's difficult for a variety of reasons to follow through on them. You want to say something? I really do. Uh, before we break, I I think that's really interesting and a really great point that you bring up, Ronnie, because. I just find it that it really insults our intelligence to think that then um, it's like fair or appropriate to posit people who have traditionally been excluded against a meadow. I think it just actually 
creates this kind of interesting infighting mm-hmm. that really supports mm-hmm. um, keeping like those of us on the left really away from each other rather than being unified. Because uh, like you're saying, like these grandiose promises are sort of the stock and trade of how they 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 operate. But these are real people's lives they're talking about. And I I I I'm personally as a first gen college student who, you know, got to leave my economic situation my my home situation which wasn't great at the time to go to UCSC like take a lot of like wow you really think that I I, like after this outstanding critical education that I got like like fall for that one like I just don't I don't know it doesn't really sit and I I could talk more to that another time you're listening to sustainability now I'm Ronnie Lipschitz and I'm here with Nadja Peralta and Bob Maisler who are uh, came from the, uh, hold on a second, Protect East Meadow, right? And I, I mentioned earlier, there's also the East Meadow Action Committee. Um, and uh, we've been talking about university commitments and the failure to fulfill promises. But maybe we should go on to something a little bit different. Um, you attended the Regents meeting in March. I'm talking to Nadia at which the regents approved the uh, the proposal to, to go ahead with Student Housing West after five or six years of delay. Can you tell us anything about, you know, about that, what happened there? Sure. Uh, yeah, this is public domain, so you can, you too can go to the meeting and uh, by watching a recording on YouTube. Um, they, you know, have to film those minutes. And around minute four and a half of the second or it must be the first day second day um i actually can't remember but uh you can watch the this issue come up so um uh well actually this is them deciding and the previous day i didn't actually watch the previous day's ones but they speak about what they were talking about the previous day a few things were really interesting the first um was that mayor fred keely himself was there um uh in support of building on the east meadow and um they there was run there the regents the regents have historically actually approved this they you know except one used to vote it down it this time they unanimously approved it and um i think it really just speaks to the intense pressure that they feel that they're under from uh everybody who is really desperate for housing, which is super understandable. Um, what was also interesting about the meeting was, um, I guess, you know, those were really just the points that stuck out, was that the the mayor had been there. Um, you see that the regions are considering what to do about just the issue of Santa Cruz. Um, and yeah, Chancellor... Larive or Larive was there and was very uh, excited about what this meant. Oh, I mean, we should we should be clear that the regents were also clear that what they were approving this time around was that despite that this project being held up in litigation, they went ahead and approved um, student bonds uh, being used to just ram ahead with this project, even if it was to lose in court, which they'll have to retract if that's the case, and the students will have to pay back that so, debt. So, so you mentioned litigation and bonds, and I, I was actually doing a little bit of reading today. So what um, what's litigation is still pending? It's a little mysterious, uh, but it seems like there's one lawsuit still pending that 
recently uh, lost, but then has been reappealed in the courts here in Santa Cruz County. That has to do with, um, I think it's a group called Habitat and Community Watershed, who has been a long time opposed to the East Meadow and has taken up doing so uh, through legal means. So they're still bringing this to court, basically. And and what are the grounds? What are the grounds for their for their lawsuit? Do you, I mean, judging for habitat and watershed, right? Defenders, I believe I mean, it has I to do with both of those things, and the the water in particular. Um, I I I wonder if you would know more because I actually haven't read their things thoroughly. So I don't want to speak where I don't know. No, well, I I was doing some reading, but I couldn't find the original oh, yeah. the original complaint on the mm. on the website. So I'm not exactly sure. I know that uh, at least one of the lawsuits had to do with with uh, water supply um, and questions about who had jurisdiction and approval rights in terms of construction of increasing housing on campus. Uh, I'm not sure what the East Meadow Action Committee suit was. Uh, exact was about exactly um but you mentioned bonds right i mean one of the issues around student housing west is how it will be financed and it's an enormously expensive project um when it started the cost was half a billion dollars and i suspect now it's much closer to a billion for the whole thing for all three thousand beds um do you know anything about how it's going to be financed maybe bob do you know anything about it I'm putting you on the spot. Um, I really, I really don't know. Um, that yeah, I haven't looked that extensively into the financing part of it. Well, uh, okay, so so I have it here actually. Oh, okay, good. Um, it looks like so. As I said, you know, the 17 acres. Um, so. As you're saying, actually, I see here, I also have about a billion dollars now that this costs, which is just wild thinking about how much. And so my understanding is that um, uh, it's really unusual that um, the university would go ahead and um, approve of uh, moving forward with the project while it's being litigated because a bond is like sort of money that they project they will have or like an invested type of money and so um risk basically uh makes that bond not like a safe investment for investors the the risk is that if the litigation is successful right in stopping the project and the university has already sold bonds that the bonds will then have no value right right so investors uh, the other, the, the flip side of it is, if the university guarantees the bonds through student-generated uh, revenues, that seems pretty reliable, right? So, uh, I don't know what the interest rate is, but but it's low risk. So, yeah. So I think that's the that's the catch, right? Right. But so typically, it's these buyers who accept the litigation risk, and so since um, that's unlikely for them to do with it being litigated. UCSC proposed to load the risk onto its on-campus students. Mm-hmm. So that was basically the, the huge departure from common practice that happened. So the students would be made to bear the risk, and um, if basically this fails in court, um, 
the project would and would basically not produce produce any rent revenue because that's the promise is that this project produces rent revenue and then um, all other students on campus rents would be increased to pay back this failed bond which sounds horrible yeah although it might be less than actually uh, going through with the entire project well let's talk about alternatives um, do, do you guys have any ideas about where family student housing might be cited instead have you thought about that I have yeah um, I think that there's a little bit of hubris around just I, I, I would think that family student housing could happen where it was supposed to happen on where the current family student housing is um, just at a smaller small enough scale to appease the red-legged frog situation. There's also an idea of just breaking up family student housing. So you could do some family student housing there, some down at the property on 2100 Delaware, or some at the already approved um, Eastville uh, campus spot, which as Bob said, is just above Crown Merrill in the forest there. Um, I, while I find it a useful practice to come up with alternatives, I also think that, um, I don't know, I have this funny stubbornness that comes up sometimes, which is like, wow, people are paid hefty salaries to do this. Like, I'm I'm just volunteering out of my heart to just like, you know, and I, it's, it's really always funny to me. Not that you're saying that at all, but just like how we as people are made to, to kind of come up with these things that people are paid six figures for, you know, is, is kind of funny to me. Well... <laughs> Let's be honest. When you pay somebody six figures, they're not going to tell you you can't do it, right? Yeah. And I think there's a virtue in you know in being able to say, well, you know, where where could you put them? Put the students. You know, where else could you do it? And the the Regents bought um, just recently bought uh, Hilltop Apartments out on Western for a pretty penny. That was the subject of a. Uh, talk of the bay that chris crone did at some point yeah you know i i sort of remember it was at least 150 million dollars um now of course that doesn't since it was mostly student occupied and now is student occupied i don't know what impact that has on housing overall but you know there are not just locations on campus but but potentially other places in town um, so, I mean, it's useful to be able to say, well, you know, here's a possibility. Yeah, which is why I list that 2100 Delaware site. And it's also why I think the in- housing, the infill project east would be great. Um, I think that there's, I- I've gone to so many LRDP meetings. I-, I can't think of one off the top of my head that I could cite, but I know they have um, different infill projects planned for the next 20 years. And it could have been easily one of those. Like there's definitely a lot of options. So I and I, I really hear what you're saying, and in the spirit of of that, I I agree. <laughs> yes, well, um, I mean, one of the interesting things, of course, is that Student Housing West and the Long Range Development Plan are treated as two entirely independent endeavors, right? That the Long Range, the LRDP, says nothing at all about that particular plan. Instead, talks about building new colleges, um, which will also be extremely extremely expensive oh, well what are your hopes then I mean you know would you, did, what are you going to be doing yeah good question um, hmm. well 
I'd, I'd say in the immediate, it's just to keep offering nuance because I think that people can be creative. It's also about offering students more nuance and more opportunity to think imaginatively and creatively about housing options. Something that we have coming up in May is we're going to be hosting uh, a housing justice type of talk uh, where we'll invite people to come talk about what that could look like. Um, People have great ideas um, of what that could be. And um, I think it's also just not giving up on even though it's unlikely the possibility that this won't work out because this is an important part of this campus's legacy but also I think it's something that now at this point we are leaving for the younger generations is is this this issue of of nuance of where the money's going and what it's being used for of um not I I It'd be one thing, I think, if if I thought that this was really well thought through and there were no other options. But I think there are. And I think that creating a dichotomous situation where it's children and their families against a meadow is just this type of dichotomous thinking that I think is so emblematic of the times right now. And I I know that this is often just thought about as an environmental issue, but I think this is really a political issue. It's a spiritual issue. It's an issue of how are we going to really live here together, not just with each other as people, but with the water, with the plants, with the land. Can we break our sense of categorization about these things? And really, I think children can. I think that the next generations will. And I think that even if this fight is deemed as like lost or doesn't come out as you know protecting the east meadow as we see it today even though i really really still think it's possible that the meadow that there's some kind of like paradigmatic change that is fed and um developed when we slow down these things when we take this active care about our community and about our future and about what it means to care for places now for the for the people for the children that are coming Mm. And you are listening to Sustainability Now. I'm Ronnie Lipschitz, and my guests today, guests today are Nadia Peralta and Bob Maisler of Protect East Meadow. And um, in the last portion of the show, uh, Bob and Nadia want to tell us some more about their organization. So go ahead, Nadia. Thanks. Um, and Bob, I invite you to jump in on this, please. Uh, so, uh, yeah, kind of as we said at the beginning of the show, Protect East Meadow came about um, less than a year ago, last July, and um, we're going to just keep hosting stuff around the meadow um, and to do with the meadow. And we've already done some things, like um, we had a sweet meadow walk where we learned about the natural history of the water and the hydrology of the area, and um, we, uh, Bob and I, got to both be uh, guest speakers in an art and environmental practice class at UCSC just a month ago. Um, and something that I think is really awesome about what we've done and what we will do is is I'm always just struck by how many people don't know these things, don't know about um, the hydrology of the area or want to know more and are so curious and excited when... Um, 
they learn about that you can see the sunrise and the moonset at that place. Um, and uh, we also have just a really diverse and sweet group of people that is part of our working group and we're always open and looking for more people so well you have best way to get a hold of us is through a direct message on instagram at protect east meadow um and uh, please come check it out if you'd like and you're welcome to join our meetings and um we try to just take on what feels best and most productive in the moment and support each other in that and so um, something that I felt would be really wonderful uh, while we still have the meadow as it is is to take children into the meadow and start looking for the western burrowing owl who um, is supposed to be in the meadow and was last seen there in 2018 and um, they haven't been seen again and for all we know they're still there it's just that no one's looked and the meadow is very big so um, who better than to find a small seven to ten inch owl that burrows than young children where where, where on the meadow were they where did they live mm-hmm. i've heard about them for for decades, decades but yeah i've never seen any yeah they would be tough to see because they um would come for their breeding season between about now through or like february through may and mm-hmm. they are were typically seen kind of more in that upper part of the meadow where it starts to slope up yeah. And they're interesting creatures. They're interesting owls because they don't live in trees. And they um, they appropriate old squirrel burrows and um, rather than making their own. And they look like a Furby. They're so cute. And they uh, um, are under threatened to into extinction because of overdevelopment in California. Unfortunately... Um, California Coastal Commission and Fish and Wildlife has a bad habit of approving development sites that allow for uh, moving them. Uh, so, but they are considered threatened, um, and if they were there, I, that would be interesting. So, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, we uh, I didn't tell the children where they had been previously seen, just that they were supposed to be in there, and um, they, the kids I was with, ran that meadow, <laughs> that giant meadow, in like. 20 minutes it was incredible there were they were nine years old they were just able to run the entire meadow and they found some promising burrows that i'm excited to set some cameras up at and um just to see what's there what 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 do you look for owl scat or or? we look for owl scat we look for signs of that they're nesting Uh um Uh and also just like what looks like could be a, a abandoned um previous uh, squirrel den mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. didn't see the scat but saw some promising dens so i think we ran out of time i had to take them back to their parents so i think that we'll uh, look for the scat next time and i'll show mm-hmm. them what that looks like they're amazing at finding things <laughs> what what and and so so you know i mean this housing issue isn't going to go away right and the university is probably well we know it wants to build build on campus have, have you has your organization your group thought anything about the future do you want to answer that bob um yeah like ronnie is that question directed to like the future of housing well on ucse you know the the campus look i mean east meadow is a special place the campus as a whole you know is really uh, uh has this sort of symbolic value to the city and and beyond 
which goes far beyond its utilitarian purpose, you know, as a university. Um, and I think a lot of concern in the community about what's going on up there is not so much, uh, well, it's, it's you know, try, disrupting, disrupting the, the city on the hill, as it were, right? That city on the hill image, which is really not appropriate anymore. So the university is going to come forth with future plans, right? And one of the questions will be where to build, what to build, how to build it. Right. And even now, even with the LRDP having been approved, there still is opportunity, I think, to intervene in some of the design questions. Now, have you thought about anything like that? I'm leading, I'm giving you leading questions here, and I apologize if that's uh, yeah. <laughs> insulting. No, but. That, yeah, you know, I think we, our group does think about those questions. Uh, over the past year, we've been you know, trying to, we've looked backwards, you know, look to the past to see how, how, how have we gotten into this position and what we, can we do in the present, the, the great events that Nadia has talked about. Um, looking to the future, yeah, I mean, I think we're, we are fortunate to be at Santa Cruz and um, the ways in which, you know, historically important movements uh, around housing justice, around costs of living and I'm you know I'm thinking recently about the the grad student wildcat strike that you know eventually turned into a, a statewide UAW campaign um, even myself within the AFT our uh, union had a historic campaign as well for a contract and, and um, I think what in my position I'm looking forward to is is these groups having more of a say in the decisions that you're talking about. So as a, you know, as a lecturer, I have my ideas, but what's, what's actually most important to me is have these decisions, you know, have a real good public discourse and, and, you know, debate around it. And I really, I really feel like that was missing. Um, looking back to the public, um, you know, the, the different periods where there was some time for public um, comment, those were really presented very quickly. And um, looking at Emacs archiving, there was a lot of criticism for this project that doesn't seem to have been integrated into the decision making. So I don't know exactly what the housing looked like, and I and I know that these there's certain tensions here that are really challenging, um, but promoting that not only all those groups, but that groups in Santa Cruz. And I think that's where our group has been somewhat successful is trying to bridge Santa Cruz with UCSC through the, the classes that Nadia has talked about, the events. And we've, we've been organizing through Free School Santa Cruz as well to, to try to have all these voices at the table. Well, we're out of time, but I want to thank you, Nadia Peralta and Bob Maisler of Protect East Meadow for being my guests on Sustainability Now. It was such a joy to be here. Thank you for hosting this type of free speech dialogue and radio. really appreciate it. Okay. Thank you, Ronnie. You're welcome. If you'd like to listen to previous shows, you can find them at ksquid.org slash sustainabilitynow and Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Pocket Casts, among other podcast sites. So thanks for listening, and thanks to all the staff and volunteers who make KSquid your community radio station and keep it going. And so until next, every other Sunday, sustainability now.
see you.